What's it like to have freedom? What's it like to be free? And so I've got a new toy today. I have this little clicker. I'm very pumped about that. So I can, you know, just click things around and show you stuff while we're talking. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, it's going. Okay, so the scripture is from the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're we're going to, just for context, read the preamble to the Ten Commandments, the First Commandment, and then the Second Commandment, which is what we're going to be focusing on tonight. So hear the word of God from Exodus chapter 20. I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on to the children, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And there it is, the word of God. May he add his blessing to it tonight, um, and may we be uh, strengthened by it. Now, this um, tonight is going to be just a, there's an outline. Uh, so, for right now, I'm just so pumped about that. It's, I can't get over it. I can make that, I can manipulate that as I'm talking with this little deal. So, um, that's awesome. Um, so, before we get to that, uh, what, you know, just thinking about this commandment of all things, there's ten commandments. The first one's really obvious, you know, if God's going to set people free and lead them into a land and tell them, hey, here's what you've got to do, then he's going to say, of course, there's going to be no other gods before him. Uh, but then, you know, like, when you're thinking about, you know, the most important things you need to be aware of, you know, at college, you know, and maybe, maybe you come from a Christian home, your parents uh, or, you know, youth group leader or whoever it is that was influential to you probably would more emphasize things like the later commandments, like stay away from that, uh, that sex or murder or something like that, you know, like get, get away from that stuff. But it's not like there's anybody who's going to be, you know, stay away from that drinking or, you know, like, you know, kind of more obvious things that college students would deal with um, as, a, as a problem in life or drugs or something like that. But, but there's nobody, like, you don't see any seedy individuals kind of out in the dark behind Dale Hall kind of going, Psst, I've got some carved images here for you, something like something for you to bow down to and worship. Um, it just seems like, is this something that's uh, antiquated and uh, irrelevant to our lives? Why would, why would God put this in the top 10 for all, for, you know, for all we're concerned, but then not just in the top 10, but number two, the deuce, right behind number one. Yeah, I mean, so why would that happen? Why, why, how could God possibly do that? Well, what's connected to, to our freedom is not only worshiping the true and living God, but worshiping in the correct way. And so... Um, if we don't worship in the correct way, we, we might be prone to sort of modify who God is and make him be somebody he's not, and that'd be problematic. Um, how many of y'all have done your Facebook video? Uh, I know everybody's done it, right? If you're on Facebook, if you, if you saw people fo- posting uh, these videos, and it's your whole history in Facebook, summed up in a minute and 20 seconds or something like that, and so they'll show all your photos and 
Some of you might not like your video. Um, you've got ex-girlfriends or boyfriends in there. You know, you think, well, why'd they choose that picture over that other picture? I look fat in that picture. Like, whatever. Like, you're like, that's not me. And so, but like, Facebook has kind of culled together all these things and says, this is you in 80 seconds. Now, who is happy with that? No one here, well, Dylan, uh, but <laughs> why, anybody, nobody would be happy with being sort of streamlined into that sort of an 80-second deal, a snapshot of you. Uh, it just can't tell your whole story, can it? I mean, it can do a pretty good job, right? But not, not the whole thing. Um, if, you've, if you've seen Hunger Games or read it, you know, we were just talking about this beforehand, but Katniss Everdeen, one of the minor point here, I'm not spoiling anything, when she is involved in the Hunger Games, they have to, uh, the, the, well, I guess I'm spoiling something. Um, sorry, that's half the book. She's, okay, so she gets into the Hunger Games, and they have these handlers that sort of craft an image. And, and so typically her, her district is known as the coal miner district, but there's a very good man who says, we need to make you have an impression on them. And so she becomes known as the girl on fire, uh, as this, she has this fire costume. Uh, and, and so she has this, she has this you know, sort of reputation from that image that makes people like her. Images are very powerful. Images reveal things, of course. Uh, and, and they're going to cause people to, to think certain things about us, uh, what kind of image we portray. And, and so it's very important to, for us, all of us, to kind of portray the right kind of image, you know, and so we don't like things or share things on Facebook that we think are going to hurt our image. Uh, and so uh, Katniss, um, Facebook videos, all kinds of things uh, portray things. How many of y'all have had posters, uh, on, you know, on your walls? Uh, you know, like the One Direction guys or, you know, um, Jennifer Lawrence, somebody like that, you know. So I had, back in the day, I had Bo Jackson, okay? Bo Jackson, if you don't know who that is, uh, there was this one picture of him that, that sort of epitomized stud, okay? So he had, uh, he, was, he had his shirt off, it was just from the top up here, uh, black and white, and he had his arms up like this. I mean, biceps bulging. He had shoulder pads on, because he's a football player, right? Uh, he played at Auburn and Oakland Raiders, or Los Angeles Raiders, and he also played baseball, so he was extra cool. So he had a baseball bat, a wooden baseball bat here. This is a famous photo. You could probably Google it and find it. It's called Bo Jackson, the ball player. And so I saw Bo Jackson as the, the uh, don't do it now, but the, uh, the, the, the epitome of just the stud. And then a couple years ago, they had a 30 for 30 on ESPN about, well, who is this Bo Jackson character? You know, where, where is he now? And I tell you, Bo Jackson now looks more like a Duck Dynasty guy. Uh, sort of like I had, in my mind, I have this image of him as the ball player, biceps bulging, shoulder pads, baseball bat. The reality of it now can't bear that uh, that image. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so um, <clears throat> so um, Troy Aikman. Uh, I'm just going to keep going on and on here about people. Troy Aikman, y'all know who that is? Cowboys quarterback, right? You might you, you might your image of him might be he's. Wearing a Cowboys uniform, winning Super Bowls. My image of him is in Highland Park, in the bathroom at an Italian restaurant. He walked by me into the bathroom. I'm like, that was Troy Aikman. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, as I'm coming out of the bathroom, Troy Aikman's coming in. Forever, Troy Aikman, for me, I have an image of a real person in my mind of him not wearing a Cowboys jersey winning Super Bowls, but in street clothes in an Italian restaurant. That's, for me, Troy Aikman. 
It's in my mind. Images are very important. And so when, when, when God gives us this command, he gets that. He gets that not only is it important for every single person, the kind of this crafting images of people and of ourselves, but this is the, the context of how people worshipped. Uh, they, would, they would have a God, and they would make an image of that God. And, and our God isn't like that. He's not a God. First of all, there is no image of our God. He's spirit alone. Uh, the, the, the Yahweh, or the God of the Bible, uh, as the Yahweh is kind of the personal name he, he reveals himself as, or Jehovah, some, might, some people might call him that. But, but he has no body. Uh, like, and so a lot of these guys that were worshiping these images, be it a bull or, or uh, you know, Venus. Venus was uh, you know, uh, a woman, and often she'd be portrayed as you know, having like 15 breasts, okay? Just this, this mark of, uh, of fertility, okay? Um, some gods, would, like Baal, for instance, would be portrayed as uh, like a bull, uh, symbolizing power. Uh, and so these people knew they, they weren't idiots. I mean, they, weren't, they were sophisticated enough that, to know that these images didn't contain their God, but they portrayed their God. Uh, the, the thing that they wanted to believe about their God, uh, they liked their God to be power or fertility. And so they, what they believed is they set this image up, they could bow down to this image, and they could figure out a way to kind of manipulate this image into doing what they wanted, either winning a battle for them or, for, or producing children. If they did the right ritual, they could kind of harness this power. How many of y'all are electrical engineers or, or electricity people? Yeah, like if you know what a transformer is, a transformer takes, not, not, not Optimus Prime, but a transformer, uh, sort of harnesses that energy to where we can deal with it. Uh, and so uh, electricity is very dangerous, and so uh, we need things like that to help us. And so an idol or uh, something they, they would, a carved image or a likeness of God in heaven would be used to sort of harness that energy. And, and Israel started doing this as well. The people that, that were set free out of slavery by God started to take on that, that worldly way of doing things, the way, the way all their neighbors were doing it, and, and would have you know, pictures of God that they would create, and they would use them uh, to sort of win or to get what they wanted and to get something out of God. They wanted to harness his power. Well, that often backfired on them, and God didn't like that because that's rule number two. You don't make an image of God. Uh, you don't do it. So, so the big idea here is uh, you got two ideas, really. you got to turn away from relating to God in the way you prefer to imagine him. That's the first thing. You can't just decide you want to relate to God in that way. The famous example of this is from uh, Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And so if you've ever seen this movie, there's a hilarious scene where they're all sitting around the dinner table, his whole family, and they start arguing about who they should pray to. And they're all praying to Jesus, but Will Ferrell wants to pray to eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus with a golden diaper. Um, and, you know, like the boys want to think of him as a samurai ninja. And his goofy best friend wants to think of him as, you know, a guy, a guy in a tuxedo t-shirt because, you know, it says, hey, I like to party. <laughs> and, I, I, and I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party, you know. So uh, it's classy, but like to party. So, um, you know, like that kind of just, that's, you know, funny, but, you know, we like our God to be like what we want him to be. And this is explicitly, explicitly forbidden, okay? We've got to, as it's turn away from relating to God in the way you like to imagine him. 
Now, think about this in real life. I mean, like in your relationships, if you start relating to somebody in a relationship and you insist that they be something else that they're not, eventually that relationship is going to decay. If you try to make somebody into something they're not, they're going to become very bitter towards you and it's going to not end well. Uh, and so, you, that, that, but that's exactly what the dating ritual is. It's selfishness. I want what I want and I'm going to make somebody into what I want. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to break up. Because <laughs> that's kind of the way it tends to work out. Uh, so we want to make people into the image we want them to be. So that's what we have in Ricky Bobby. That's what we have in our religious lives. We want to make people into what we want them to be. And so all the relational dysfunction, I would argue, is in our daily relationship is just disguised selfishness. The moment someone stops meeting our needs or becoming who I want them to be, we're going to break up, and there's no commitment there to us. Uh, But so um, I would say, um, you know, like talking about marriage as well, um, when some of you are going to get married, likely 95% of you will probably get married someday. Uh, one thing to look out for is that, you know, and when, I'm, when I'm talking about these, uh, these the issues with uh, couples who come back after being married, um, is that sometimes the sexuality in the first year of the sexual relationship is disappointing. And why is that, you think? Well, men and women relate very differently sexually. And so sort of uh, men want women to behave sexually like, like they want it to be. And women have this whole other idea of what that's going to be like. And that's, that goes in the bedroom, in kitchen. I mean, like, the, any, like in, in, like, taking care of, not sexually, but any kind of, like, <laughs> in the kitchen. Any kind of expectation you might have about what a role is for your spouse. You guys all went there. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, it's college. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Y'all just walked right on through college Bible study here. So uh, y'all, y'all have got to, I mean, so you've got to realize that you're going to have a lot of expectations. You're expecting him or her to just know what you want. And there, there's a lot of things that, that break down because of these expectations uh, of, of casting the other person in your image, uh, wanting them to be wired the way you are. And it causes a lot of dysfunction in marriages. Uh, so let's go to the, the points here. Uh, principle one, people are not books you edit. Uh, they're unique, image-bearing persons. I'm just going to throw all these out there for you. Oh, let's go back. Okay, yeah. Ah, boom, look at that. That's power. Yeah, look at that. Um, principle one, uh, people are not books you edit. They are unique, image-bearing persons. Uh, and secondly, we have a tendency to cast others into our own image. We do that with God, of course. We've talked about that. Uh, there's there's uh, this futility in seeking to make the invisible God visible. Um, and then fourthly, images often conceal more than they reveal. Um, you know, like I said, Bo, Bo Jackson, is not the guy in the shoulder pads and the bat. That's one component of him. And I very clearly have that in my mind. But the rest of Bo Jackson is obscured to me uh, because I have an image in my mind. Images often conceal more than they reveal. We often think, well, what if I could, what, what if I could have uh, a picture of, of God or Jesus that I could you know, have in my mind? What if I could see Jesus or, or God and, and, and how much I'd benefit from that? Or maybe he could give me a direct note about what he wants, to, what he wants me to do in my life, you know, what he wants me to 
be or, or, or where he wants me to go. And so there's a tendency to want to make that happen and, and see that and, and kind of even trick myself into thinking I know that, like God says this uh, when he really doesn't uh, to me. And so that, that example is actually Exodus 32 and the golden calf incident. Um, you know, what, what happened there is right after they get the Ten Commandments, Moses is off talking to God again, and Aaron, you know, kind of the other leader, the number two guy, uh, the people demand that you, that Aaron, make us a God that we can worship him. And so Aaron, you know, takes all this gold and, and, uh, and, and fashions with, with fire uh, an idol, uh, a bull or a calf. And, and, the, and he puts that down, and they uh, worship it, and they have a big party. And, they, and he says, look, Israel, this is your God who led you out of slavery. It takes the exact wording from the verse we read. And says, this is him. And so they're not worshiping some other god like the, uh, the opponents out there. But they're, they're saying, we're going to worship the true god, but we're going to look at him as a bull. Uh, and do exactly what he's told us not to do in the second commandment. And what happens to them? Um, well, Moses comes down and he's furious. Does anyone know why? Not because they're simply worshiping in that manner, but they've... Uh, that did, they just did it without, yeah. you, you started the part of that. Yeah, it was awful. Um, it was, it was, you should read it sometime. It's an ugly situation because there's, there's uh, drunkenness and orgies going on. I mean, like, a worship service turned into the Pike House. I mean, like, it just got nasty. Um, so I can say that because there's no pikes here anymore, so I'll throw them under the bus. Um, but, there, you know, it's like, um, at OU, we don't have that. So, um, but yeah, what happened was, was uh, it was ugly. Like, they worshipped a bull, and they became a bull. Um, they looked at this picture, and they became what they worshipped. You become what you worship, in a sense. And so uh, the good news is that we can turn away from uh, relating to God in the way we prefer to imagine him, and we can, step two, turn toward relating to God as he informs your imagination of him. Imagination is important, y'all. Um, we think about things, and... Boom, principles come up. Um, you can imagine those things. So you have them in front of you, I'm assuming, on your, on your handout, right? So there they are, right in front of your face up here, right on your handout, they're everywhere. So these, these um, principles inform us in that every relationship involves a lot of listening, of course, and so it is with God. We can listen to him. We can listen to his word. And um, so I, I won't, I won't you know, belabor the point here, but, but like, what about Jesus? Um, Jesus is the way he relates to us. Um, J- God gives us an image to look at. Uh, and so we, we, you know, we want to pick and choose. We want the, the strength. We want the power. We want the, like maybe the, the gentleness or the mercy of God. But Jesus is the total package. Jesus embodies who God is. Colossians 1, which is principle 5 uh, there on your handout, says that um, in, in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, look back to Jesus in the Word. And in these verses here, John 5 and, and Luke 24, uh, Jesus just flat, flat out says, the whole Bible speaks of me and tells you who I am. And so if you want to see Jesus, you don't need to take a time machine back to see him or, or wait to see him. You can see him through the Bible. You can know what God looks like, so to speak, by looking at Jesus, and you can have a, a true image of, of who God is by looking at the Son of God. And so the Bible shows you Jesus, and in Jesus, you begin to see who God is 
and what he believes about you and the world. So let's move on to, like, practically, how do you look to Jesus? How do you start to, to look, not, not, not to God in the way you prefer to, to look at him, but, but in the way he wants you to, to see him? And so, third point, boom, 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 okay. Practically, how do we do this? We commit to the discipline of reading his word. Now, some of us might think, you know, well, this God is... You know, somebody who, we ought to be merciful to people. We ought to be kind to people. You know, we shouldn't judge people. Um, and so that's, and that's, that's something that God is. Uh, he is somebody who wants to show us grace all over the place. Uh, he is, uh, Jesus is very compassionate and kind to people. Uh, we see the kindness of God that leads us to repentance in Jesus kindly dealing with sinners throughout the Gospels. He's always doing that. And so you might have this picture in your mind that, that, that God is a lot like Santa Claus. I mean, just a jolly uh, old man who wants to hand out candy canes, and he's wonderful, and he smells good. Um, you know, and he's just, he, he wants to, to just give you what you want. He's not going to judge you, really. There, that naughty and nice stuff doesn't really matter. You always get what you want um, with this person. Um, some of you might, you know, might be more uh, of the opinion that, God's more of like a stormtrooper with no heart. I mean, he's got to get people. He wants to, to bring justice, and you want justice. You want to see justice done. Um, you've, had, you've had hardship in your life, and you don't like the fact that people get away with stuff, and so you want God to be more like, uh, uh, you know, the, the one who brings justice. And so I'm going to argue that, that only in Jesus can you see both of these points connect. Both the justice of God and the love or grace of God connect perfectly in mercy and justice and love at the cross. And so these guys uh, saw it uh, with their own eyes that Jesus was, was crucified, died, and resurrected. At the cross, you see that God literally takes sin so seriously, your own sin and my sin, that Jesus, the perfect son of God, had to die for it. And that's 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 harsh to think to think our own sin sent Jesus to die on the cross that's the truth about us but also the truth about us is also tied up in that God loved us so immensely that Jesus would do such a thing in our place as a substitute for us so only in Jesus can you truly picture who God really is God is too complex for you for you to fully imagine him in the way you'd want to without looking at who Jesus is in the death of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection for our salvation. That's truly what God is and who he is. Only with that kind of picture can you have him. Have you ever thought about like why doesn't the Bible um, give us more uh, detail about what Jesus looked like? Um, you know, like if I'm, running, if I'm walking in my neighborhood and Barack Obama walks up beside me, I'm going to know that's Barack Obama, okay? I'm going to know, even if George Washington walked up next to me, uh, if he's resur- George Washington's resurrected and walks up beside me, I'm going to say, powdered wig, yeah, that's my man, George Washington. He's about my height, he's tall. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so I have great pictures of what these people look like, first president to the latest president, I know. But, like, the most important figure in the history of the world, the most important person who's ever lived, who is in fact the center of our calendar, the center of human history, Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we have zero, uh, zero descriptions of what he looked like. Zero. 
Uh, yeah, Jesus didn't ever command any of his, like Peter, John, James, anybody, to go out and make Jesus dolls and action figures uh, or, or Jesus uh, paintings or anything like that. Nothing. Um, but, you know, in the Victorian era and, and medieval times, people started adding, you know, beards to Jesus. And, and you know, we've seen movies uh, about Jesus and all these sort of descriptions about Jesus. But literally, we have zero idea of what he really looked like, only that he was Jewish. And in all the 50-some-odd, you know, movies about Jesus up in, uh, that I know about, there's no one who's ethnically Jewish ever portraying him. We have absolutely, any picture you have of Jesus, it does not help you. Uh, so, like, so any picture, wipe it out of your mind. What Jesus is, is the Gospels, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the books about the, what happened in the Gospels, that's what he is. It's not about what he looks like, it's what he did. It's not about what Jesus would do uh, in, in your own life. It's what he did for you 2,000 some odd years ago. And so that's the, that's the word. Um, that's the word that, that transforms us and informs us about who God is. And we ought to expect that to do that because it's powerful. When you think about what it says about you, that you're that bad that Jesus had to do this for you, but you're that loved that Jesus did that for you, it's utterly changing your life. It utterly changed my life and it changes ours. So that's, that's freedom to worship God in that way. And so we're not to craft another image of God, but we're to be images of God. We're to be images of God. Uh, from the very beginning of the Bible, God made us and it said, God made man and woman in his image. And so we're to reflect God. We're to be images of God, not to create our own per- perceptions and imaginations about what, it, what God is. So he didn't give us dolls. He gave us a command to be images of God. The only pictures he gave of himself, I would say, our baptism uh, and the Lord's Supper. Those are things that he gave us to picture who Jesus is and what he does and that we would be pictures of Jesus uh, and the way we love each other. Uh, you know, Jesus says this to his disciples, they will know me by your love for one another, by your friendship for one another. So the call to you tonight is to be an image bearer of God, a true image bearer of God, to be consistent with what he's made you to be. Uh, as you look to his word and see him, that he would transform you to be somebody who would be like him, be somebody who would, who would lay down his life for his friends, uh, who would patiently bear with sinners, uh, who would be outraged sometimes at injustice. Uh, and and so, so, so you're going to, if you're a mercy person, you need a little more justice. If you're a justice person, you need a little more mercy and love uh, and grace. But Jesus is going to balance you out, and, and the things that are going to resonate with you when you look at the Word are going to be different every time. And that's the great thing is that if I just showed you a picture of Jesus, you would have one image in your mind. But through the Word of God, you've got, you've got a lifetime to be corrected. Uh, and when you <coughs> veer off the path, you can be... You, you, God can overcorrect you with, with his, or he can correct you and drive you back down the middle uh, with, with his word. And that's the beauty of it. Jesus could literally come down here and zap you and change you. But what's really amazing, and I'll close with this, is that he does things through unlikely people to show Christ, to show the image of God. Um, there's a great story about these guys in war on a submarine. And one of the, one of the guys um, on the submarine Got a, had a 106 degree fever, and they're on the like the bottom of the ocean in the sub, and uh, you know one guy on there who's in his previous life before being a soldier here uh, was a pharmacist, 
and he you know kind of done a little um, examination of this guy and, and and determines that he has a he has a burst appendix and he's gonna he's gonna die if we don't operate and so they uh, get they get people to keep the the sub going straight and then this guy you know gets they, like they have an operating team that you kind of those people that don't know what they're doing and they they take their uh, pajamas and sort of turn them inside out and they've got operating clothes they take like alcohol out of the uh, torpedo uh, stuff, you know, and they bring alcohol out and, and sort of siphon that out and start using that. And they cut this guy open and, and then they start remove, like pulling muscle out to get this appendix out. And they actually get it out. And 13 days later, uh, after this procedure done by a pharmacist uh, on, a, on the bottom of the ocean of a submarine, the guy's back doing his job. Uh, he goes from being utterly sick to being well through a seemingly ordinary person who has no training in surgery. And that's more amazing than if the surgeon was on the sub, right? A much better story, right? And that's why you're, it's, it's exciting because a you know, normal, ordinary, unqualified person was able to do such an amazing, heroic feat. And that's the picture that we've got to take from this. Free life is imaging a hero. It's imaging God. It's bringing about redemption and salvation for uh, people who are desperately ill and are going to die without the love of Christ or God poured out in their hearts. And that's our call. That's our, that is your call tonight, is to be uh, those who day by day build a community around you uh, and where amazing things are happening through ordinary people like us. And, and Jesus is, is pictured and God shines forth. And so people need to create images of God because they've got them right before their very eyes. Um, they are saved through you. There's that great line in the movie The Blind Side when, when you know, uh, that lady who took in um, the football guy, of course, you know, uh, Michael Orr. Um, <laughs> so one of, her, one of her little group of six friends says, man, you saved that boy's life. You changed his life. And she says, no, no, he changed mine. So um, there you go. Let's pray. We'll end it. Uh, Father God, change our lives. Uh, Lord, help us, uh, invite us to um, the true picture of you found in your word, not the ones we like about you. We could go on and on about how we um, like to think about you and how we like to think um, what you want us to do because that gives us power, that gives us control, that gives us security. But what, what freaks us out and what makes life a little bit more difficult is having to rest in your righteousness, having to rest in your love uh, that, uh, that is out of our control, that something you did for us, apart from us, because you loved us, but something that we did not participate in, um, that you loved us in order to save us as we lie dying um, and dead, uh, you brought us back to life through the cross. And so we, we look to that, may that unnerve us, and bring us to um, a truer uh, understanding of who you are, and may we be blessed through that, that we might be a blessing to others. May we image um, Jesus to this, to this campus, to OU, uh, to, our, to our dorm rooms and our apartments and our jobs and our classes and all the things that we do to our relationships. May we be more like Jesus, and we would give you glory in Christ's name we pray. Amen.